Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. In today's episode, uh, we I am delighted to have with me Rory Stewart from New York. Rory is a very multifaceted person. He is a great runner and coach. He has run multiple marathons in the 2 hours and 40 minutes timings and he's no slouch in the shorter distances either. He's a 4 minute and 38 second miler. In addition, he's also a triathlete and he has twice played handball at the US Collegiate Nationals. Over and above all this, he is a very acclaimed jazz guitarist and composer. He is an author who recently published a six-volume mu- music book called the Rhythm Book. He has also worked on advanced uh, human-computer interfaces as well as uh, AI. And uh, I am absolutely delighted to have you with us, Rory. Thanks for taking the time and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Raj. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so in your own words, can you give the listeners a quick introduction about your athletic background and your obviously the musical background and all that? And um, you know, over to you. Okay, uh, the athletic background. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I was a handball player. Uh, I don't even know if people in most countries in the world know what handball is. There's an Olympic game called team handball that's completely unrelated. but this is a a game that's popular in the US and also in Ireland you can play it on one wall with one wall three walls or four walls uh and so in handball i found a sport that that my natural abilities were really finely tuned for so i got i have to say i got to be pretty you know quite good and as i as you mentioned i played you know in the nationals the collegiate nationals so i was one of the best handball players in the country uh at the college level and i had aspirations to become one of the best at a professional level of course handball's a, a very minor sport in the professional world it's not like people are making a fortune winning handball tournaments but it was a sport i love very much uh and i had been doing a little bit of running because handball is a very aerobically demanding activity and you want to have every edge over your op- opponent that could mean accuracy and shots strategic abilities but also the ability to to do a two and a half hour grueling match and not slow down at all so i had started doing a little bit of running i hadn't studied running at all i was just running a little bit just to supplement my fitness uh there, then there came the point where i decided to become a full-time professional musician uh, it wasn't my original thought i had gone to stanford thinking i would become a marine a marine biologist actually uh but i i became totally engaged and in love with jazz music uh and i'm i'm a guitarist you know and so i started really pursuing that vigorously and i noticed that my hands were often cold i would come in and play at a club and my hands wouldn't warm up i was in colorado it would be snow outside and and i was at a handball tournament and one of the other players was saying to me about it's really a nuisance his hands never warm up and it suddenly occurred to me i don't know how i never thought of this that playing hours a day hitting this very small hard ball i i had the disheartening realization that it wasn't going to work to be a professional jazz guitarist and a, a handball player and at that point after winning a tournament i just retired from handball so you so you gave up handball for, for jazz and took up running okay 
Right. Ball, so even ball. though I had been running a little bit before, now I didn't have the handball filling my life. And I was, you know, pretty fit from handball. So I thought I didn't want to lose it completely. So I started running more. So I have a, a cousin uh, who lived near me and I vaguely knew that he ran in races. Uh, he said to me one day, hey, Rory, this weekend, there's this little running race. You know, I'm going to do it. Why don't you come and do it with me? So I said, sure. Right. It turned out this was a 20-mile running race. So for those of you in, who are thinking in the metric system, we're talking more than 30K. I mean, I got there. I had never run. I mean, I had run a few miles. I had never run that far. But but the glory of youth and being in shape is that actually I did pretty well at it. And it, and it was remarkably fun. I never thought I would want to do a race. Uh, and he was impressed that I had done that well, or even that I had finished it. And so he said, hey, that was really good, Rory. Why don't you come and do this race I'm doing with me in three weeks on Sunday? So I sure, said, sure, I'll do that. Well, it turned out it was the Denver Marathon. So this is a full oh. a full marathon at, at altitude, uh, you know, because it's like a mile high. It's, it, it's, that significantly affects people. So I remember I, with no training, I didn't know what I was doing. I had never done a long run except for this 20-mile, 20 20-mile, 20 you know, a few weeks before. There I am at the marathon. And again, with the folly of youth, I had scheduled a musical performance. This was in Denver. I had scheduled a musical performance in Boulder. It's a 30 miles away um, for soon after the marathon. So I had to finish the marathon quickly in order to get to drive to Boulder and be on time for my gig. And that's one way of getting a good timing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I remember I was I was running along and this thing was remarkably easy. I was going faster than I thought. And every mile I would look and the clock said it had taken seven minutes and 14 seconds for that mile. I mean, I had no expectations to run fast, but I was doing pretty well. And I thought, wow, this is really easy. Until about mile 22. And all of a when sudden... The, when, the, when the wheels probably came off. Yes. And, and the wheels came off so badly, I can't even describe to you... I remember there was one entire long block that I just walked. And all I could think of is how stupid I was to have entered this event. What a fool I was. And then I got back to running again. And it was clear to me that this was never going to end. I, I didn't even imagine seeing the finish line anymore. And time stretched out, you know, way more than it really did. So, so it just felt like I was running forever. This would never end. And the only thing that was clear to me is I would never do something this stupid again. <laughs> and then I turned a corner and there was the finish and it was over. And I, of course, I had to quickly get to my car, drive to Boulder and play a music gig. And I think by the time I was in the car driving to Boulder, I already was all of those thoughts about, I'm never going to do this again. I thought, you know, if I trained for one of these, maybe I could do pretty well. <laughs> so, do, do you remember what timing you did in uh, in Denver? I think it was three hours and eighteen minutes. Wow! And and but this was the marathon for me. While it was happening, never again. And then within a few hours, you know, I could really do better at this. So, the next year, I moved to New York City uh, as a jazz musician. And, and while I was a big fish in a little pond in Colorado, uh, in New York City, it was, re, you know, really quite difficult. Uh, it was very competitive. And I had the experience in my music career 
that I could work very hard at things, but there was no predictable outcome. I would work very hard to get certain gigs and then I wouldn't get them. And then something else I would get seemingly by chance. Well, I had wanted to train for a marathon. And so I had a bass player in my group who was a very good marathon runner. His name is Calvin Hill. He played with many legendary musicians. I met him at a jam session when he had a Honolulu marathon cap on his head. And I hadn't met any other jazz musicians who ran marathons at that time. So I started talking to him. I found out he had run a 242 marathon. So he convinced me that we should train for a marathon later that year. The interesting thing for me was now I actually started training and it served a good psychological purpose for me because it was one area in my life where if I put in the work, I could get the results. Um, and you know, whereas with jazz, the jazz music business, it seemed whimsical what happened. So I kept training more and I didn't know much about what I was doing, but finally I was doing long runs and so forth. And things were going so well that I had a moment thinking, I told my friend how I was doing. He said, you know, maybe you can break three hours. I said, wow, that would be great. And so I did the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania marathon. And it went a lot better than the one in Colorado. There's nothing like training before you do a marathon. And late in the race, I started realizing not only was I going to break three hours, I was going to do even better. And if I remember, I think I did two hours, 50 minutes and 10 seconds or something. So to have broken three hours by 10 minutes was fantastic. And and that is, and it's a big jump at that level from 318 down to 250 is, it's quite a big move, uh, right? It, so fantastic. It is. And, and the only thing I need to say is that the one in Colorado was at altitude. So, so that might've cost me 10 minutes right there, but, but yeah, it is, it was, sure. it was definitely a big jump. The only thing I want to say is through time, I met other runners. I got an excellent coach uh, named Pete Shooter, and I started racing at other different distances. So, so I, so it's just been, it's never been a professional thing. Uh, I, I became fascinated with it, began reading the literature, ended up teaching a university class in running uh, coaching a bunch of people. I, I don't have a degree in physio exercise physiology, uh, but I was impressed that Sebastian Coe, who for many years was the 800-meter world record holder and also the mile world record holder, his father had an engineering background and not only didn't have an exercise physiology degree, had never even been a runner and was one of the best coaches in the world who, who made this, you know, developed his son into a world beater. So I didn't let the official degrees bother me too much. I, I don't have any pretense to be the expert, but I've had a lot of experience. I've run more than 50,000 miles in training uh, in my lifetime. Uh, you know, I, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences and wow, I sure love the sport. Okay, that's a, that's a wonderful introduction and thanks for all the anecdotes as well. So Rory, you speak of something called purposeful running. Uh, what do you mean by that and uh, how does purpose influence how you train is uh, can you throw some light on that yes I, I would love to thank you 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 asked me the question that really taps into the the particular thing I emphasize when I coach people purpose here means knowing your overall purpose and also having a purpose for every single training session so I think a lot of people begin running and they don't particularly think about what it is they're they're 
goal is, what they're trying to achieve. And often they hear what other people do in training and they think, oh, so-and-so does this. I should do this too. But it doesn't necessarily match the, the respective purposes of each, each person. So let me just give you examples of some things I've run across in terms of the overall purpose. Some people run for health. They want to get better cardiovascular fitness, et cetera. Some people run because they want to lose weight, improve their body composition. Some Which is people, very common, actually. Sure. Very yeah. common. Some people find that running relieves stress. So they're doing it largely for psychological reasons, and it can be great for that. By the way, there have been studies that it helps people with addiction, you know, overcome addiction, depression, et cetera. Some people run primarily for fun. And then the question is, you know, what is fun for them? So, so for me, I run for fun, but, I, but it's fun for me to achieve particular racing goals. Um, some people run primarily actually as a social activity. They just want to run with their friends and they make these ties that way. Some people run, as I did when I was in college, as a supplemental activity to get more aerobically fit for other sports and activities. Some people run because they want to, they're very goal oriented. Like I have a friend in India who wanted to complete a half marathon. He doesn't run year round, uh, but, but he, you know, he had that particular goal. And, and so, in, in fact, a lot of people who do the marathons, right? Like that. Sure. I mean, it's a bucket list item and then they train for that one marathon and, uh, uh, Sometimes they don't train as well. So, yeah, sorry, go on. Sure, yeah. Some people are training because they want to become better runners. That means they want to become more efficient, have a higher ability to process more oxygen, an ability to tolerate lactate, greater endurance, ability to burn a higher percentage of fat as fuel. You know, so they're really into the, the details of running and how to run faster and further. Uh, some people run because they want to get a running scholarship at a major, major university. Uh, and of course, people can have really high goals winning a particular race, qualifying for the Olympic trials, qualify for the Olympics, win an Olympic gold medal, you know, so forth. And I, I've also had friends uh, who ran because they made a living from running. So, so there's so many different overall reasons to run. That's one thing I mean by purpose, because how you train should be a lot different if you're doing it just for health versus if you're doing it. Um, for stress relief versus if you're doing it to, to go to the Olympics. You know, it, it's very different. Uh, and the other thing is thinking about every session that you go, every time you train, and having a specific purpose for that. Now, I, I don't mean there's nothing wrong if your purpose is, oh, it's a beautiful day, I want to go out and have fun and, and be in the open air. Or, oh, I want to go and see my friends and run with them. That's fine, but it's just that I think it's important to know what you're training for. And if you're training because you're trying to improve your fitness in specific ways or be faster at a race, then it's particularly important to know your purpose because that should dictate very uh, specifically how you train. And for example, it shouldn't be the same every run every week. You know, you, you might want to have a mix of endurance-based running at a slower pace, um, speed work, uh, very fast speed work to improve your efficiency, um, lactate threshold runs, runs where you're at a level that you're, that you're pushing so you can tolerate more 
lactate, but it's not running all out. Uh, running a heel workout to increase your strength, uh, working on your form. You know, there, I, I, I could list you know, many different specific things you want to do, but most of these things I'm mentioning are not even relevant if you're running primarily just for your health, for cardiovascular fitness. No. So a, a lot of the listeners actually would be uh, training with some sort of a goal uh, in uh-huh. the sense that they will be training to, let's say, run their first 5K or 10K or a half marathon or a, a marathon. So for those people, so let's say that's the purpose. My purpose is to hit a particular distance. Uh, and uh, I'm not particularly fussed about the timing, but I want to improve my endurance. So right now I'm able to go out and run for 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. But now I want to do a half marathon, which possibly could take uh, anything from two hours to two and a half hours, let's say. So how do you how do you look at that uh, uh, that kind of people when it comes to training? And uh, how did you approach those athletes when you were coaching? Sure. Let me let me jump to what you'll think is a non sequitur for just a second, and it'll make sense. Imagine that you were a young aspiring runner in Kenya, and that if you could get to the very top and win races, you would be able to make more money than somebody who's a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman, and you would be able to generously give a house to each of many of your family members and irrigation to your village, okay? But you would only get those benefits if you were good enough to win major marathons. If that were the case, it would be wise to do certain things that would that would increase your risk of injury. Well, that's completely worth it because if you don't train that hard, there's no hope of winning the races and making a living. Okay. Now, in contrast, if you're somebody who wants to do a first 5K or a half marathon, is it worth it to train in a way that might make you faster, but but gives you a high percentage chance of getting injured? In my opinion, sure. in that case, it's not. So, so you should be very progressive and somewhat cautious in your training. If you go out So that means you should follow a structured training program, focus on particular things you want to build. If you're a beginner, probably the main thing to build is endurance, right? Because if you've never never run before and you didn't happen to be a 20-year-old handball player or something like that, uh, you're not going to be able to finish a half marathon. So the first thing would be very gradually, progressively increasing the total training mileage per week and your, the length of your long runs. But being very aware of this thing that a lot of people are not aware of when they start training with running, it's a very interesting thing. You're providing, you're sort of providing stresses and your body is adapting to the stresses. But there's a cumulative stress and, and there's a somewhat of a delay so that you can feel great doing a certain program for a week or two and then suddenly find yourself injured or totally exhausted the individual training sessions you seem to be doing okay with, but the cumulative effect your body didn't have time to adjust to. So it's it's kind of planning a program, giving yourself easy weeks or easy days intermittently. The only goal, in a sense, if that's if that's what you're uh, if that's what you're trying to achieve, the purpose of a training session. It doesn't matter what the training looks like it matters how your body adapts to it. You understand, it, you're only trying to provide in training a stimulus 
that your body will have the appropriate response to. If your body keeps responding appropriately and you keep giving it appropriate stimuli, by the time the race happens, your body will have adapted. Now the race is the focus and you can do fine in the race because your body has adapted the way you want it to. So it's, it's not to be a, a so-called hero when you're training. It's to, it's to very gradually and in a systematic way build the stimuli so that your body can keep adapting to the stimuli and, and get the best results. Okay. So uh, th- this uh, leads to one of the questions which one of the listeners have asked, and I'll actually ask it now instead of uh, later, uh-huh. which is uh, injuries is something which uh, pretty much all runners have battled with. And I'm sure you have had your share of uh, injuries and uh, there is no bigger setback in some ways uh, for runners because you simply can't go out there and execute something which you dearly love. So how did you manage emotionally and physically during that recovery period? <clears throat> so so I can talk about managing physically and emotionally during recovery, but also we could talk if you want for a couple minutes about how to avoid injuries. Uh, sure, we, we can start with that and then move to the okay. you know, question on injuries. Yeah. Okay, so, so I had um, a remarkably magical first 20 years of running where I almost never got injured. And I don't know many people like that. And I think partly I was lucky. And the other thing is I think because of my background in handball and because, for example, I was never on a high school or college track team that pushed me to raise my mileage or intensity very quickly, I, I sort of naturally... You eased into the uh, yeah, I, higher mileage and things like that. I think that's true. I think partly I eased into it. And also partly I, I might have just been lucky, you know, biomechanically fortunate. But I have had injuries since that first 20 years. And, and so I, I do know I can't answer the question about physically and emotionally, you know, how to deal with it. But in terms of avoiding the injuries, I have a couple of things to say. One is it's worth it, I think, for most people to do some um, supplemental kind of training in terms of strength training and perhaps a little bit of flexibility training. Flexibility is a little bit more controversial than people think. Uh, there's a theory that tighter rubber bands back, uh, bounce back more efficiently. Uh, and, and it's not clear that stretching programs decrease injuries. In fact, one of the things which uh, I have heard from uh, multiple uh, coaches and some uh, very high-level elite runners is that they don't particularly want too much flexibility because they just want a little bit of, uh, let's say, uh, tightness in the legs and uh, the lower body so that the spring back effect, the the free energy, as they call it, is available. And yeah. you, so they avoid certain particular types of yoga exercises or flexibility exercises, which enhances fitness uh, too much, too much in, in the context of their sport, which is uh, you know, running. Yeah. In terms of flexibility, it's interesting because you could find Olympic champions who work a lot at flexibility and are fantastic runners. But causation and, and correlation are a little bit confusing here. In other words, it's not clear that they're, that they're great 400 meter runners because of Whatever I mean, I mean, it might just be that there happen to be gifted athletic people that that can both develop this flexibility and stay uninjured. Um, sure. So, but but it's pretty clear to me, even though it's largely anecdotal, 
that there are strengthening things, particularly, I, I guess there's not a way to show your listeners in a podcast, but things like what are called split squats. Um, that, sp- as an example, split squats, which strengthen your quadricep muscles, tend to result in in better tracking by your knees. So, so many great runners do split squats and have impressively strong quadriceps and thereby avoiding knee problems, you know? So, and it also could be that, that things are more individual than we think. In other words, there might be some people's bodies where stretching would benefit them and other people's where it wouldn't. But I would definitely say that some strengthening is one thing. And it's not that having stronger quadriceps will necessarily make you a faster half marathon runner. It's that it'll, it will allow you to train without injuring your knee. Train more consistently and hence you become a better runner. So the biggest or one of the biggest drawbacks of injury is it does set back your progress depending on the nature of the in- injury by you know, a few days to probably several months. So, sure. Sure. Yeah. so in, in those scenarios, how, how did you handle, handle it? Uh, the... Well, let me just say one other thing about, about avoiding injuries first and then I'll talk about how I handled it. Sure. Uh, the, the other thing is... A lot of people who run, I could say, especially a lot of people who are good runners, are very self-motivated individuals. They don't lack for motivation. And so a very typical thing that happens is someone is out on a run and they get a little nagging pain someplace and they think, ah, that's nothing. I'll just run through that. I think you should be very wary of this. For example, I had a friend, a triathlete friend. I started doing Ironman and shorter triathlons after after I had focused on running a lot of years. And I was out training with a triathlete buddy and she was having a little bit of nagging pain in her hamstring. And she thought, oh, I'll just train through this. She succeeded in a way. Um, She continued to train and race, but for an entire year, she constantly was trying to manage hamstring pain. She couldn't train as hard as she wanted to. And she didn't do as well as in races as she wanted to. And and I remember thinking this was her kind of compulsive thing about continuing. But if she had merely taken a week and a half or two weeks off and done some other things and completely healed from it, she probably would have had a much more satisfying, successful season. Uh, so, so what I would say is, you know, after you get a little experience, you can really distinguish usually a, a little discomfort, which is of no consequence, and a little surprising uh, nagging little pain or feeling where it's like, oh, that's not right. And my recommendation is err on the side of caution. In that case, missing a little bit of training and healing completely at most might slow you down slightly in the race, but it's the difference about having a season-long injury or something that just lasts for a few days. So, so I think that's a very important lesson. If you do all of this, you do the strengthening you, you're careful giving yourself days of recovery. Um, you're careful to, to stop and back off if you have any little pains. You can avoid a lot of injuries, but you still might get injured. And, and you ask about what to do then. Um, well, one solution, if you can, is to cross-train. Uh, so all of a sudden, you ride a stationary bicycle instead of running or you start swimming sure. instead of running. And many runners are not as good at those other activities. Uh, I have to say, when I began doing triathlons, I would pass everybody near me in the run 
but in the swim, I, I was getting people swimming much faster. And, and so other cross-training activities can be very fascinating because they tend to be more skill-based. And if you don't have these skills, you can channel all of that running vigor and, and uh, energy into them. And, and if you do that for a few weeks, you're not going to lose that much fitness and you come back to running, you know, without any injury. In all of this, in, in, in your very eclectic background, how do you connect running to the to music and the AI work you do and writing? Uh, oh. is, is there a connection? I'm asking you, I mean, or am I asking to make a connection when probably there is none? What do you say? Well, I guess I, I managed to fit them all into the same life. Uh, but I think, I think there are connections. I think it's useful in life to have a balance. Uh, and there are certain things, for example, as a jazz musician, you could easily be sitting eight for eight hours a day practicing an instrument and not doing any sort of physical you know, things, especially as a guitarist. Maybe as a drummer, at least you're moving your limbs a little bit more, you know. Um, so I think finding the balance, is, you know, is, is one element. Um, another thing that I found that, that running contributes is it's something where if you do a good planned schedule, you can really see the, the results of, of your efforts and of sort of a systematic, organized, goal-oriented approach towards things. You, you know, this could be getting a coach to make a schedule for you or researching it yourself and making your own schedule. Um, but but that immediate feedback of seeing, oh, I follow this program. Wow, I could do something that I didn't think I could do. You know, people whose bucket list is to run a marathon or do an Ironman triathlon, some of them have told me when they finished that, they suddenly realized, wow, there are many things they could do in other areas of their life that seemed to them prior to that to be out of reach. So I, I think that's part of it. And uh, I could say in my own life, I, I love to do things that I enjoy and that are exciting to me. And so something like my work in artificial intelligence and virtual environments, it was just a hobby. It was just something I was reading about. And through a quirky sequence of things, you know, I was already a, a, a critically acclaimed, you know, guitarist who had records out and so forth. Uh, but it was just something that I added and, to my life. And it was actually very fun. And it was a different kind of intellectual pursuit. Um, but the trade-off with all of this, I think, is finding balance. So, you know, a friend of mine, uh, he was my most inspiring training partner, I think. And he had come in second in the New York Marathon when it was still run around Central Park. Uh, his name wow. is Bill Bragg. He, he had won the Philadelphia Marathon. He had done the U.S. Olympic trials. I mean, Bill Bragg was a great runner. Um, but when I asked him about his training, for example, he had gone for a year and a half where he ran 140 miles a week for every week for a year and a half. And, you know, that was his whole life centered on that, which is, I'm, it's a great thing. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying it was clear to me that as a professional jazz musician, I wanted to have all the energy to put into composing and, and you know, creative recording, you know, creative endeavors. I, I wasn't going to be running as hard as he did. Uh, so you just have to find a balance. And for many people, by the way, for many people, if they spent 40 minutes three times a week from running, now maybe those people aren't listening to your podcast, but someone who isn't running at all 
The difference between that and building to where you can run for 40 minutes three times a week is a big change. And people who say, well, I don't have time for that, often that same kind of person is sitting around and watching a few hours of television or surfing the web. I, I, I would at least put in that baseline, which, by the way, I think would give people more energy for all the other things they do. It, it actually helps your productivity to be more fit. Sure. So yeah. uh, coming to the course, Joy of Running, which you thought, uh, what, what was it that uh, you were trying to convey to your students uh, in the Joy of Running? Sure. So it was, it was a university class that ran for many years. And um, what was interesting is that the people... And, who, and just to be clear, this is a credit course, right? Yes, a credit course. Yeah, okay. And, and by the way, if you looked at the final exam, pe people who didn't know sort of thought, oh, that's a joke, a running class. You know, that's like a basket weaving class or something. If you would look at how technical the final exam was, people <laughs> would have been surprised. I, I got into a lot of detail you know, even even things like the physiological adaptations from different sorts of training, you know, peripheral capitalization, increased mitochondrial density, ability of muscles to use oxygen, increased stroke volume of your heart, increased plasma volume, resistance of muscle cells to depolarization. I mean, believe me, it was a more technical <laughs> class than you might think from the sound of it. But um, But the thing that was fascinating about this course is the range of people who registered for it. So the first day I would find out all about the students in the class. And I had some students who had literally never run. I mean, maybe they had run part of a block for a bus once. They had never gone on a one mile run in their life. On the other hand, I had a student who was training more than hundred miles a week and another one who trained and successfully completed in a very good time, uh, a full Ironman triathlon. At the same time, he was a drummer and a senior in the in this world leading jazz program, uh, wow. so it, it was that kind of range of students, and so I, I worked with them, of course, in understanding their goals, and then also looking at each person's current strengths and weaknesses, and figuring out what they needed to do to reach those goals. So even though I was explaining about different kinds of workouts, you know, endurance training lactate threshold training, VO2 max training, strength training, speed and efficiency, you know, all of the sort of things that are the basic core of training, um, we would tailor people's individual programs to their specific needs. Uh, and so it, it was a wonderful experience. Of course, some of the students who came in already accomplished runners went on to do things like I mentioned, do great in an Ironman triathlon. But I remember. Uh, a student who almost tearfully came to me at the end of the semester and very quietly told me that how much this course had meant to her because she had always been a one pack of cigarette a day smoker and she couldn't break the habit. And she didn't tell me that, but when she came to the course, she vowed she was going to learn to run and to break this habit. By the way, talk about great progress. By the end of the semester, she was one of the most accomplished runners at doing a two-mile time trial in the whole class. She had improved stunningly, but, but what was meaningful to her is that she had managed to stop smoking. So it, it was a great joy to teach this class. It was fun. Wonderful. Uh, you know, moving on, uh, I ask all my guests about uh, their favorite uh, 
books, blogs, uh, websites that they follow, uh, YouTube channels, other podcasts, resources, basically, that uh, you would recommend uh, to our listeners? Yeah. I mean, it probably depends on the interests of the particular listener. So so I'm, or, or for example, for me, the book that was co-written by Sebastian Coe's father, which is a rather technical book on training, uh, is something that I like a lot. But let me say as a general book that I think is useful for many runners at many levels, uh, the uh, Jack Daniels classic book on running, there's a website called letsrun.com. Yes. Uh, so, so I also find that useful. You know, I think your listeners can do great by researching things themselves, um, but th- it might be worth considering at least a little bit of work with a coach. It depends on the person. Um, in my case, I didn't need a coach for motivation, but, but the guidance a coach can give, you know, is useful. And I know you've had some people on your show who are professional coaches. Uh, I, I do coach people some. If anyone's interested, they're welcome to go to my website and, and email me. But, I, but I'm not trying to sell my services. Uh, that would be something to consider. I think you have to know yourself as a person. Are, are you a person who wants to do what I've done and, and, and read the literature so much and sort of study it, uh, which is fine? Uh, or are you a person where you'd rather someone else have done that for you and sort of give you guidance based on their research? No, absolutely. There is. Uh, I have personally benefited from having uh, co- coaches. Uh, so no question, no question about that. And it probably goes back to the first point that you mentioned uh, about the purpose. So if your, especially if your purpose is a particular goal, in terms of distance and uh, timing and things like that, and not just recreation uh, or for just you know running for a bit of health and cardiovascular fitness. Yes, absolutely. So where can I mean also you you know where can people find you, Rory? What's your social media handle, website, uh, whatever you want to share? Well, I've got all of those different things, but I would say the first thing would just be www.rorystewart.com. It's R O R Y S T U a r t dot com. Okay. Uh, if if you if you go there, uh, you can find the contact page and and send me email, and I can let. If you're by the way, if there are any jazz fans listening, I would love to uh, to make contact with the jazz fans. I've done concerts in India, in uh, Calcutta, and uh, Mumbai, and Delhi, and Ahmedabad. You know. But anyway, I, I so of course I would love to to talk to folks about jazz, but also people who have running questions or looking for coaching things, whatever, uh, or, or tips or anything. I'm happy to hear from your listeners. That would be great. And for the listeners, uh, uh, before we let you go, uh, will you play as a tune? Uh, certainly. This tune is uh, Lembrances, and it's from the CD So Rise Up, which, by the way, is available on the website if you're interested. So Sure. Thank you so much, Rory, for joining. And uh, so before you start the piece, uh, I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much to you. And thanks for your time. And Raj, thank you so much, not only for having me as a guest on your show, but for your enthusiasm and efforts to support running, because I think people who have many different purposes in their running are going to benefit. I've already listened to some of your other podcasts, and a lot of people are going to benefit from this. So thank you for being uh, such a great supporter of our sport. Thank you, Rory. And here is the small musical bit from Rory. 
Thank you very much to all the listeners. As I mentioned, all the resources discussed here are included in the show notes. So do refer to those links for further information. You can reach out to me on my social media handles which are running and fitness with raj on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can also email me on running and fitness with raj at gmail.com. Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy and till the next show, goodbye.